All right, if uh, Florida State was a candy bar, Halloween's right on the horizon here. Florida State was a candy bar type of candy. What type of, what type of candy would it be? Bob, we'll start with you. I remember those butterscotch-wrapped candies that, like, Grandma used to have. <laughs> yes. Whenever you'd go over to her house, she'd offer you food because you had to eat. It's an Italian house. Mm-hmm. I don't want butterscotch candy if you're going to offer me something <laughs> sweet. That's, like, the last thing I want. All right, Chris. Sour Patch Kids. Why? It's pretty self-explanatory. Good candy, but sour. <laughs> this group has definitely soured on the football field. All right. I was going to say blow pop. That's probably not appropriate, huh? Why? Because they suck. <laughs> but blow pops have gum in them. That's fantastic. How about the Three Musketeers? In, in, in theory, like looks delicious, chocolatey on the outside. You buy into it. It's kind of soft and, and just really not flavorful. There's not a whole lot of substance there. So... Anyways, welcome to the Knowles 24-7 Podcast. This is Brendan Sinone. Joining me today, Bob Ferrante, Chris Nee. Uh, and we are here to dissect a 35-3 loss to Boston College for Florida State from Friday. Uh, and as well as uh, I mean, kind of where things are at right now. I thought we had kind of a, a wide, encompassing uh, view of the... That's Chris Nee with a Sour Patch Kids wrapper can. <laughs> you, you just went with the first candy that was on the top of your head. No, it's literally what I thought of. But it was funny because I was at church this morning and... Found that in a pumpkin patch and picked it up because people shouldn't litter. Oh, you see that you didn't eat this, so it's just no, trash no, no. you have. Dude, I don't eat candy on Sundays. Come on. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> I feel like there's a ninety percent chance I, if, if focus okay. it on BC. Yeah. All right, BC, so many great things to talk BC about. was terrible, uh, and it was we went into the game thinking that there was a chance that this Florida State team was fractured and broken. I think our last podcast, Bob, you said underachieving. Chris, you said broken. I said fragile. All of that came to fruition, I think, more so than any of us really thought. I thought there was a chance this team was going to pack it in, but I didn't know it would look quite like that. Uh, Bob, we'll start with you. Your main takeaways from what was a disaster. This team is regressing. I think <laughs> yep. for all of Jimbo's optimism, for all of his speeches about being inches away and a few plays away and all that, they were nowhere near. They were outcoached. They were outplayed. Execution, both sides of the ball. Special teams was a disaster, too. It's amazing... We have seen at times the coaches have put players in better positions despite all the injuries on offense. That that moving pocket at Duke that worked so well, we didn't see any of that against BC. I mean, you've got to put true freshmen in positions to find success. And on on defense, the same problems are coming up again and again. You can't stop the run. It's a very one-dimensional BC offense. Mm -hmm. You know what they're going to do. They have a mobile quarterback, but they're going to run. Mm -hmm. And you can't stop it. It, it's really, they're regressing. That's, that's the only conclusion that I've come up with. Yeah, I, I mean, I thought it was on par with 2006 Wake Forest. Yeah. It was a team that quit and lost to a far inferior opponent. Um, and the, the thing is, I feel like BC kind of did what exactly you thought BC would do. They were going to run the ball with A.J. Dillon, mix in John Hillman. They were going to try to do some trick plays, eye violation type stuff with the passing game. They did that. And defensively, they were going to play kind of straight up. And, you know, they didn't even have Harold Landry, the best player on their entire team, excellent defensive end, future NFL player, was unavailable. And they still whooped FSU in the trenches. Mm -hmm. I mean, Zach Allen played very, very well for them off the edge. But in general, their front uh, seven, that bunch, um, the linebacker who's also from Florida, um, his name is escaping me off the top of my head, him and Allen just took it to FSU. I mean, FSU could do nothing. Mm -hmm. They, They played poorly. The fumble clearly was sort of a breaking point for them early on. Mm-hmm. 
but they never responded. They went into the locker room, came out, and had a three and out, and on the next series had a three and out. They ran 21 plays for 38 yards in the second half. It was clear as day that group just mailed it in. Yep. And when you know we do the three, you know, three keys to victory before, uh, before every every single game, and all of us picked Florida State to win in that. Um, but one of the things that I wrote was they needed to make something good happen early on in the game because that that team ended during it. We talked about it last week's podcast how how distraught that group was leaving the Louisville game, um, how devastated players were crying. Chris mentioned James Blackman being just inconsolable into the locker room, and so stuff that the anger that you saw on the field with them leaving spilled over into the locker room. You saw the head coach say something to a fan and threaten, <laughs> threaten to fight him, essentially. So all those things are spilling over, and you wonder, okay, couldn't they get it together? Chris asked Jimbo Fisher on Wednesday before they left for Boston College whether or not he was worried about his team's psyche. He said, no, they had a great week of practice. He said, maybe the best week of practice they had, which, uh, you know, the, the last time Jimbo said they had a great week of practice, maybe the best they've had in a long time was going up to Louisville last year. So um, there's certainly something being lost in, in, in translation there. But, but I guess what I'm getting at is this was a team that needed to find a way to make something good happen early, just wasn't capable of it. Chris, you said they quit. Uh, I wrote that. Yeah, they, I, I wrote I, that they quit. Let, let's talk because because I, I think people. It, we we had this conversation off the yeah. pod. Quit's a heavy word. There's a lot of ways of defining it. Against Louisville last year, I felt like they quit in the sense where they just kind of packed it in. Yeah. Against BC, I feel like they mentally checked out yes. and were like done. I didn't feel like necessarily guys went and ran the wrong way intentionally. That yeah. kind of quit. I didn't see that. I just saw a team that literally, from a confidence standpoint, in all phases of the game, outside of punting the ball and kicking field goals, had none. Mm-hmm. I mean, Derwin James tried. He, for the most part in that game, he made an effort. He was trying to be vocal. He obviously had, I believe it was 13 tackles. He played a fairly good game, and he was trying to get other guys to buy in, but it just wasn't happening. And offensively, they're a mess. I mean, mm-hmm. six receptions by true receivers, one of those being a guy who was playing safety last week, Armand Lane, catching one of those. It didn't move to wide receiver until the day before they went up to... You average four yards per passing attempt. Yep. Your running game gets stuffed. Cam Akers can't pass pro very well. I mean, he looks mm-hmm. like a freshman trying to pass pro, and it was clearly... The biggest drop-off going from Patrick to him was in that regard, in my opinion. Razul actually was somewhat of a bright spot when he touched it. I believe yeah. he did have one crucial drop, if I'm remembering Yeah, correctly. he had open pass. But in yeah. general, when he touched it, he was sort of exciting. There's it was, something it was there. good to see it. Yeah. But they just, as a group, I mean, they're not very good, and they're so incredibly fragile that when one thing went bad, it snowballed very quickly, it's and they been, were done. been that way to an extent this season and they can't get like it on offense like something bad happens and then they're done like they get a penalty and that and that part of that is like okay is that talent um and yeah i think that that's part of it it's not a talented group they've had a lot of key injuries at key positions that they couldn't afford injuries at that's part of it but yeah th- this is a team that to me they look uh, they emotionally quit in that sense they they were no longer invested in the outcome of the game as much as they cared about that louisville game and as flawed as they were they cared deeply and i think that's what now the thing that we talk about during the week is is that a breaking point is that team fractured? And I don't mean the, that there's infighting. I don't mean that kind of fractured. I mean fractured like are they in just pieces on the floor and they can't be put back together. Uh, and that Boston College game, the answer to that question was a resounding yes. Yeah, they. I don't think they can regroup. I, I don't know how you can. I don't, don't want to say that's impossible because we've seen weird things happen in sports before, but when it looks like that uh, and that team emotionally was done. I mean, Chris, you mentioned the, the body language on the sideline. We were rewatching it again before the podcast. 
there were coaches laughing. I don't know if they're trying to keep guys loose, but but there's coaches laughing on the sideline in the fourth quarter when that game's out of hand. There's players smiling, and the rest are just distraught, looking in the distance, just not having an answer. I think that's kind of what this comes down to, is this team not only checked out mentally, I think the players quit on the coaching staff. I, yeah, I, think, I think that we saw them try so hard against Louisville, and it didn't matter. To where there's not a tr- the, the 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 trust isn't doesn't seem to be there at this point. Yeah, I don't know what a rallying cry for this bunch is. Like I don't, I don't know we're gonna go do it for this guy or we're gonna go do it for this coach. We're gonna go do it for pride. I don't know what this group's version of that is, and I don't think they know either. And I think that hurts them. And another takeaway from the game is that some of the stuff's so self inflicted, it's insane. Mm-hmm. I mean, T Mac on punt returns is a fine example of that. You know, he has the fumble, he has one that he botches back where he keeps backing up, should have his heels on a 10 and not play it, and he does, and mm. turns into a horrible field position. So stuff like that, I mean, that's... When you're a team that has such a slim margin of error affordable, you can't do that, and they keep on doing it, and it's players and it's coaches. So the decision, I know you want to talk about this, Brendan, the decision to keep running T-Mac out there was just asinine. I mean, it's yeah. insane, and... Everybody that watches FSU football knew it was insane. He mm-hmm. infuriates people that watch it. It's a it's a zero sum if you're lucky proposition putting T Mac out there on punts. More times than not, it hurts you. And so, so this is what I'll say about the T Mac. I feel like that's the embodiment of what's wrong with Florida State currently. Not not putting up issues on Tavares McFadden. There is something optically that you can tell isn't right when he goes to return punts, right? You can see that. I can see it. Bob can see it. Chris can see it. And we are guys who are, you know, I, I like to say you know, educated football fans. I mean, we cover football for a living, um, but we aren't aficionados. We aren't well, Jimbo Fisher or guys who have been there forever. In that covering. regard, I was listening to The Front Row with Tom Block, yeah. Keith Jones, excellent show, does a really good job. Keith used to return yeah. punts. Keith literally talked about that very thing. He said, plain and simple, T Mac is not. A comfortable looking. He doesn't. He doesn't look. He so the fun, the fundamentals yeah. of what you're doing in that job is not something that comes naturally to Tavares McFadden. Yeah, that's I, basically what Keith said, and, and that's, that's an excellent. That's a, someone that you trust. Trust when they say it. so. So, but but I'm saying it's like we scale back to us three can see it and be like that doesn't look right. And then let's look at the results. Like he's averaging three and a half yards per punt return. I mean, a few weeks ago on the Colin show, Jimbo Fisher was talking about yeah how guys uh, are struggling to return punts because punters are kicking it so much longer. Well, guess what? There's there are about 30 guys in college football that have returned it as frequently as McFadden has per game, and McFadden's in that lower, you know, maybe there's four, three, two or three other guys that have a worse average than he does. And that's just the ones he's actually returning. That's not the ones he's letting bounce and go back for hidden yards, too. Um, but I'll, I'll let the special teams guru, Bob, walk in here and weigh in uh, before I go back to circle on my full point about how this is just, just Jimbo being stubborn, but it just it agreed that this wasn't, this has been something that's looked bad for weeks now and needs to be changed. Is that fair? It's it's clear, and I think T-Mac doesn't have it, and I, I've said that a lot. Returners have it. They have mm-hmm. that kind of special innate ability to make something happen or to just Greg Reed have being vision. The, uh, Greg Reed yeah. being the, the ideal example from Florida State football past. And it's obviously been a long time since he's been gone, and Florida State hasn't really done a very good job whatsoever since on punt returns yeah. since then. You know, part of it is... T-Max struggles as a returner could be carrying over to him as a corner. You wonder what the confidence that does to the The confidence, I think, hurts. I think I like that Jimbo puts stars on special teams and puts them in positions to be on the return teams. Mm -hmm. But if it's not working out, and Jimbo clearly knows and knew weeks ago it wasn't working out, 
make a change. And if it's not Levante Taylor, who we've all kind of wondered, why isn't this guy in the mix? Go with DJ Matthews. Go with a freshman who is eager to do something on the field. I don't think return is complex in a sense where you can have a freshman out there, you can have a senior out there. He has to have it. He has to know where the blocking is going to be on mm-hmm. that particular play. Where might should I, should I run right? Should I run left? Do I run middle? Mm-hmm. Where are my guys going to be in front of me? I don't think it's it's not complex. No, it's a pretty simple. It's you got the confident to to because that's a, I mean that's probably one of the most. If you had to give me a list of things that I would at least want to do in sports, maybe aside from like. I wouldn't want to play hockey professionally. I wouldn't want to be in the in the batter's box against a pitcher throwing the ball 100 miles per hour. Like that would be terrifying. Returning and fielding a punt would probably be the the next on the list. But yeah, you're right. Like that's a pretty simplistic job. As you see the ball, you make a quick. Do I field it or not? And then you go. And it's do about, I fear catch yeah. it? And am I going to try to return? The Walker kid for Boston College is a good example of mm-hmm. punt return. Yeah. He's confident, he catches it cleanly, he understands where he is on the field, where his coverage is, whether he should attempt a return, whether he should just cleanly catch it, whether he should back off. I mean, that, that's all you need in that position. Mm-hmm. That position for FSU has been something that's put them in a lot of bad situations this season that they didn't need to be in. It's been for years now. Yes. Um, and, and so Bob mentions DJ Matthews. So I want to go for full circle with, with this being kind of you know emblematic of Florida State football. There's a talented freshman uh, that, as soon as he touches the ball in the punt return, man, it just looked different. He made a decisive decision and then just glides effortlessly to get a a huge, what was like a 40-yard punt return, and there was a penalty that ends up bringing it back. But it looked different. Uh, So bringing it back full circle here to to what we've seen in recent weeks and what Jimbo Fisher has said, he's repeatedly said he's confident in Tavares McFadden. When asked... You know, why, you know, he was asking his call-in show a couple weeks ago, why Levante Taylor isn't going to shot at it? Well, he said, well, he didn't look as good as McFadden did in, in fall camp. Man, we're in frickin' October now, and you're going off of what fall camp. Like, I understand that, that that's what you have to work with at the time, and that's how you make your decisions. Uh, but to not, to, to be stubborn, and that's what we're coming down to is a stubbornness, not willingness to change. So we look at the optics that aren't great. It doesn't look natural returning the punt. And then we look at the metrics and all the numbers and just basic punt return numbers that say he's not doing a very good job there. And all the evidence is there in front of you and no change is made. Now, we're not able to go in and see practices and see how they look during practice. I don't know. We're not given that access. That's not something I'm privy to. But the, what matters on the field, you know, the, the results, uh, and Jimbo, I know, is process-oriented, but the, the results have been bad for a couple weeks now, longer than that. They've been pretty much the entire season and there's been an unwillingness to change until it was basically to, to the point where they just uh, you, you had to put in someone else. And we'll see if they stick with that now. I think in practice on Monday, you got to start finding out who this someone else is. If Have they DJ, not been doing that? All, we don't know. That's, that's what's frustrating is why are you pounding your head against the wall and expecting it to get better? Well, you know, you don't like the situation you're in. Make some changes. Yep. Adapt. Figure out who else you have on the roster. I think... I think DJ is an option. I think Levante should be an option. He should be revisited if if it has not already been examined in mm-hmm. full. And again, we can say that, well, punt return isn't a huge issue beyond a fumble. Well, it's a huge issue when you talk about field position. Yep. And Which the offense needs help setting with. up the offense yep. with a freshman quarterback, with a freshman running back, with a banged-up offensive line, with a extremely thin group of receivers. Mm-hmm. Punt return sets up the offense. It's a domino effect. If you get... 10 yards out of a punt return here and there, it can be a little bit of a momentum swing. Mm-hmm. If you're going backwards, if you're fumbling, that's terrible. I and mean, that's putting your defense then in a bad spot too. Yep. 
this it's got to get fixed. It's just got to. There, there's a rigidity to Jimbo Fisher that we've seen now enough to, to know when something's not working. He doesn't seem in a huge hurry to deviate from what he's felt comfortable with and from a conclusion he made a while ago. And I think that spills not just on the punt return, but we see that for this for this team scheme-wise, uh, a lack of just using stats and anecdotes to, to uh, anecdotal statistics can actually be beneficial to look at some different metrics and things like that that can help you make decisions on what's not working. There doesn't seem to be any kind of attempt to really mess with tempo and, and, and change that up. There are a lot of issues. And one more thing on McFadden with the punt return, like you mentioned confidence, Bob, like not only for him and the confidence that that may have for him playing cornerback and, and what he does, you know, full time for, for 60 plays a game. Uh, but how are teammates supposed to react to you seeing that the guy they're putting in a position to make a play isn't able to make it week after week. And that's not being changed. Um, and so, I, at least for me, like if I'm looking at that and I'm, you know, say at work, if 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 Chris is screwing up every single week and he's not because he does like two thousand things each month and, and carries us, but if he's screwing up and doing the wrong thing every single time where we where we need him to help out, that's going to start affecting morale, and that's not Tavares McFadden's fault. That's solely on the coaching staff for not putting their player in a position to succeed. And I just I can't help but wonder how that impacts other guys to see someone that's put in a position to fail over and over again. Uh, and, and that's where I, I think we're at with Florida State and this program. There is a rigidity to it that it's almost like they're proving a point sometimes or there's an unwillingness to change. Or at, at, the, at the best case scenario, and this may be telling too, you don't have anyone else that if you truly don't feel comfortable with returning a punt at Florida State, where your recruiting territory is Florida, Georgia, and Alabama, you don't have any athletes there that can return a punt and clean it field or field to clean it, and that's no matter how you cut it, there is something just inherently wrong with the way things are being managed right now. There are options. Jimbo knows there are options. It's just yeah, for some reason he's unwilling to change. Yeah, and I think I think the assistant coaches have laid it out and said we need to make some change for whatever reason. Jimbo either doesn't trust DJ as a freshman or other options. And it, it's it's time. I mean, there are four games left. It's time to just say, we're two and five. Mm-hmm. We've got four games to start figuring some things out. Mm-hmm. And honestly, this is what Bowden did in 76. And I, I hate to even go that far back, but man, at some point, Bowden knew that the veterans had apathy and they didn't really mm-hmm. care if they lost, there was, oh, well, so what? Yeah. Well, Bowden started playing freshmen and sophomores for a reason because he wanted mm-hmm. to build a program around kids who gave a damn each week. You know who was out there before every game early? DJ Matthews. Fielding puns, just dancing around, having fun. You know who was crying after the Miami loss? Marvin Wilson. You know who was crying after the NC State loss? Hamster Nazardine. I'm seeing, and I'm not looking for those guys. Those are just observations. That, and it has dawned on me after a while. I was like, oh, those are the young guys. I think Wayne McGahee uh, at the Democrat tweeted out before the game that there were, there were guys up at BC dancing around. It was almost all underclassmen. They are ready to play and contribute. And it's it's tough when you're a freshman because you are expected to be a senior. Like you're coming off your senior year of high school mm-hmm. where you were the star and you did everything. Mm-hmm. And you probably played multiple positions plus special teams. And now they're sitting around saying, well, i, I got to wait my turn when there's a veteran in front of me. Well, hey, when the veteran in front of me ain't playing well, 
Yep. I'm ready to go. And again, what, what message does that send to the to 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 young guys? Like if if someone in front of you isn't performing well, which I think it's fair to say, like generally the team isn't performing well enough to win games because they're two and five. Um, you know that 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 says something. That that sends a reverberation. Chris, you're awfully quiet for. <laughs> he's, he's, I'm just taking it in, guys. Um, playing young guys is you're gonna lose. Sometimes playing young guys. Oh, we're seeing, it's we're just, seeing that right now to an extent. It's yeah. just naturally going to happen. There's going to be mistakes. There's things that they're not going to be as keen at doing because they just haven't had the reps, haven't done it. For example, Cam Akers, pass pro. Yeah. That's an example. Every freshman running back in general is going to struggle in pass pro. It's a learned art. It's learning the feel of do I go left, do I go right, who am mm-hmm. I picking up here. It comes with time. Um, that's just an example. That's not to pick on Cam. FSU's problem this year is that they're losing with veterans, and at this point, some of those veterans flat out don't look like they care. Mm -hmm. Some of them look like they're just biding their time to go pro. So what the hell are you doing long term? Mm -hmm. You know, it's time for the youth movement. It's time to shake things up, and truthfully, it's time just to play loose. Like Jimbo's obsession with perfection offensively is detrimental to the guys that he has out there. Just go and try to make plays. It worked at its best when he had a quarterback that didn't care whether he was getting yelled at or not. You mean James the, the once-in-forever type yeah. of talent? Yeah. yeah. But just the way that, that guy's personality. Like, like, I think Jimbo says James Blackman likes to be coached and stuff, but man, his body mm. language on the sideline shows that he's frustrated right yeah. now. And I understand the results aren't great, and that's part of it. Like, if you're if you're getting dog-cussed and you're winning, like, that feels different. But, uh, but yeah, this team plays uptight. Yeah. This team, and, and that is a direct reflection of its coach. Right, I mean that, that's that's what this is. Is, is a, they can't the offense they're attempting to run that Jimbo wants to run cannot be operated with this many young inexperienced pieces. Plain and simple. Which is, I mean that and that and again, like, man, you're you're the you're buying the groceries, you're cooking it. You can kind of determine what you can do to an extent. You can't obviously change everything, but the fact that that it took you know. Well, Jared Jackson last look at the wide receivers like Jared Jackson ends up getting pulled and he, Jimbo said he didn't get pulled but guess what he did get pulled last week for for DJ Matthews based on the amount of reps that happened after the the interception that could have been caught um, the fact it's taking that for DJ Matthews to get in over a walk on senior is not great the fact that it's taking Irmon Lane who went from wide receiver to safety back to wide receiver over he's playing over Tamari and Terry who's a guy who looked really good in camp but again we can't see what they're doing every day we don't know what it looks like the fact you can't find ways to get those guys involved or you can't find the ways to, to to make a contribution or to feel like they're you know empower them to make an impact even a small one that's on you man like that's that that's not that's you putting the system ahead of the players yeah and Jimbo is steadfast in his hatred of new football yeah, he is. To, to, uh, he'll, he'll rant about it in press conferences. Obviously, he hasn't done it as much mm-hmm. this year because they're not winning enough for it to kind of allow him that time. Mm-hmm. There's certain things you can't bring up when mm-hmm. everything's kind of negative. But he hates certain things about new football, RPO-type stuff and such. And it's like he's unwilling to part with the system because of the circumstances. Mm-hmm. And he's painting himself into a corner with his offense. And they're they're a horrible offense. They are literally maybe the worst offense. They, in a they power are five literally school. right now. There are how many how many uh, power five 60, 65 power five. That sounds whatever right. it is. They're dead last because <laughs> yeah, they're I mean, in, they're, in points per game. They are dead last of any. They, Illinois is, Illinois is scoring more than them per game. Illinois, Lovey Smith coach team is outscoring you. 
Let that sink in. And you, you and know I understand you, the circumstances are bad. Like you know you freshman. have issues. Your O line yeah. is not very good. Yeah. Your center got his ass whooped in Chestnut Hill on mm-hmm. Friday night. I mean, he was horrible. He graded out horrible. Yeah, the, the PFF grades PFF that we had, had, he was by far and the And he worst. was bad. He yeah. got whooped. What was it, like 40, 49 out 49 of? 49 and a half. Yeah, 49 and a half out of 100 skill. And usually um, for, for context, like a 75 is probably, that's average. That's, yeah. that's fine. You could live with that. Uh, you start getting below that. That's a guy playing in the eighties is one of the better players in the conference yeah. that week usually, yeah. but ninety under fifty is putrid. Yeah. It's horrible. Yeah. And you've got a young offensive tackle in Josh Ball who, mm-hmm. for every good moment, has a bad moment. You've got guards who are sort of limited in their ability to do things from both health and physical standpoint. You and you're, you're just you're steadfast. Mm-hmm. We're going to do the same thing we would do if we had our twenty thirteen offensive line out there. It's, yeah. it's just nuts to me. It's yeah. it's being. Stubborn, just for the hell of being stubborn. And at some point, you have to decide, we need to just try to score points. Mm-hmm. Cam Akers throwing the ball is an example of doing mm-hmm. that. He has shown moments where he's willing to do stuff like that. And, yes, he did at times in that game because of pass pro issue, go five wide, or he might put a running back out there in a the slot. We saw that a couple times. So it's not like he's never doing it. But it has to be, from the word go, it has mm-hmm. to be the willingness of what the offensive attack is going to be. It's not about being pretty. It's not about long-term development at this point. Mm-hmm. It's about trying to score points and win a couple of football Empower games. Empower your, your players teams are good. to feel good about themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Next year in camp, get back to the basics and the fundamentals mm-hmm. of what you want your offense to be and play that way all year. But right now, you got to change the script. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's time to adapt and, I think, go back to that moving pocket at Duke where we saw James being very, very comfortable. Mm-hmm. He seemed to throw very well out of that pocket. It helps your offensive line as far as pass protection. You don't have to necessarily hold that block boy yeah. as well. You don't have to worry about Cam Akers being the Jaquez Patrick replacement for, for pass pro. Um, and the other thing is, I wonder if James is losing confidence yeah. in the receiving group because of the injuries. And and we're not. I'm not going to put injuries as an issue. Mm-hmm. But again, adapt. If you don't have Campbell and you don't have Gavin, mm-hmm. put some guys around James that he can be successful with and who he trusts. Mm-hmm. So if you just look at the list of options, there are options. Tate is injured, but he's playing. Yeah. He's, he's getting better. Like he's, he, he threw his left shoulder into someone on a block the other day. He's like doing he's, the best he yeah, can. Yeah. You've got Murray, who's improving. Yeah, he had a 100-yard game. Mm-hmm. You've got DJ. You've got Terry, who's still the great unknown. Then you've got Maven and Izzo. Mm-hmm. Where are but, they? Where's Maven at? But let's bring Lane over from defense. Mm-hmm. I don't. I wonder if, for example, James doesn't have trust in Lane if he hasn't thrown to him in he practice. Certainly doesn't have chemistry with. You him. don't have chemistry, so why do it? I think Terry's a better option. I think Maven he flexing the ball. out is he, a better he, option. He probably threw the ball a ton to Terry right in the preseason. He had to when they were working together on the second or third team. Like he had to. So I. I mean, we have asked Jimbo to adapt, but don't get crazy adapting and bringing Lane over from defense. <laughs> That's like, and plus, what message does that send when you bring Lane over and play him instead of DJ and Terry? It, yeah, it doesn't be- send my freshman the message of, hey, you know, you're working hard. We're going to give you those few plays here and there. It's like, no, I think a guy who last played offense literally a calendar year more than that ago mm-hmm. is a better option. On what planet is Lane truly a better option? And that's not a knock on Lane. He's a team first guy, no, and credit to him. But it, it's an indictment on your development of the position, your yeah. recruitment of the position, your coaching of the position, your willingness to trust the guys that you did recruit, mm-hmm. coach, bring in. At some point, you take training wheels off and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And 
you recruited really talented guys in DJ and Tamorian. At some point, you got to give them a chance. Yeah, and again, that's him putting the system and guys that know his system intimately ahead of what may work better. Yeah. Uh, just, uh, you're, you're, players win football games, not systems. Like that's we've sat here and talked a bunch about the offense, and it was putrid on Friday. But we've basically just not talked defense. I don't know what to say about the defense. How about how about this? They've given up uh, 200 rushing yards in each of the last two games. What was once the strength of that defense, those def- and, and they also gave 111 yards to Duke, which pretty much just ran draw plays for that first half and, and somehow got five or six yards a pop. Sean Wilson's actually pretty talented. He's a nice little running back, but they, but they ran draw plays, yeah. and Duke was able to, to get space. And, and I understand, like, injuries play a part in it. But, man, I mean, you, you have allowed – it went from being one of the better run defense, top 20, in, in the past three weeks. They, the three, uh, on October 8th, they were 20th nationally in yards per carry allowed, which is fine, which is okay given that you've only played Power 5 teams. That included the run-heavy Alabama. Um, and now, and that was including Miami, and now they're, I think, 57th, and they're allowing like one more yard per carry than they did a month ago. Think about that. <laughs> that, that and Bob, Bob mentioned this team's regressing. That is the epitome of, of where this team's at. And, and as far as if you want to know whether that team mailed it in, um, and you can say the reasons why, the fact that BC, you knew exactly what was B, BC was going to do, and the only thing you had to do was not let them whip you up front, and you had to push back, and that didn't happen. They just yeah. sent a 230-pound bulldozer at you play after play, and you folded. Yeah, they ran I-form, ran it straight at you. you know, you're going to get doubled up in the middle there mm-hmm. in I-form. So it's going to neutralize or detackle. So it's sort of up to your linebackers to fill the hole in the play, and mm-hmm. FSU still allowed them to convert at a high clip. Yep. And uh, Dylan's a wonderful back. I mean, he is. He is. Yeah. But again, that was a nice. That was a nice uh, to get him from Michigan. Was a nice. Right. Uh, he's going to be a problem in the ACC for the next few years. Yep. But there was a but there, Bob. Go ahead. But figure it out. You've got to <laughs> stop the run. And again, every team moving forward knows that you can't stop the run, and you're facing Eric Dungy, and he's going to run, and he's going to pass, and he's one of the more dynamic, lesser-known quarterbacks out there, and Syracuse can beat you by running. I think, I mean, of course, they showed everybody on that Friday night they beat Clemson. I think they can very easily come in here and, and beat a Florida State team that is trying to figure out Like you mentioned earlier, what are they fighting for? And that line in the sand of what are you fighting for keeps adjusting. Like before the Miami game, it was, well, they can play for a state title. Mm -hmm. And then after the Miami loss, (laughs) Jimbo says, well, NFL, the seniors and juniors are playing for the NFL tape. And it's like, oh, that was bad. And now they're they're playing for the guy next to you in pride. Like it just keeps getting pushed back. And it's. It's happened so rapidly. Real quick with the run defense, I just want to throw my nerdy numbers out there. So Alabama, they gave up four and a half or four point one two yards per carry, one hundred seventy three yards total. And that's against what's going to be one of the best you know running offenses at your city. And then they kind of figure it out. NC State, they give up two point nine seven yards per carry, one hundred ten yards total. Next week, two point eight two yards per carry against Wake Forest, ninety six yards. Miami, which has a nice little running back, uh, eighty three yards total, two point eight six yards per carry. And then, one hundred eleven yards against Duke, four point four yards per carry. 293 yards against Louisville, 6.6 yards per carry, and then Friday night, 241 against Boston College, 4.38 yards per carry. To pile on your nerdy numbers, the last two weeks, they've allowed A.J. Dillon this past week and Lamar Jackson previous week both to go right around 100 yards after contact. After contact, yeah. And they've also, in the last three weeks, have given up seven rushing touchdowns um, before in the four games before four. So That, that defense does not fire off at no. all. They don't swarm at all. It's... 
it's incredible watching some of the games. We're having Saturday freed up for us, you know, watching Penn State, Ohio State, for example, Notre Dame, Georgia, or I'm sorry, uh, Georgia, Florida, Notre Dame, and NC State. Watching some of those defenses, Georgia, for example, really just fly to the ball. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just a matter of sort of a clean conscience just going after it on the field that this defense doesn't. I, this possess. team isn't empowered to play that way. By like they're just like Jimbo says, I want you to run like a bunch of crazed dogs. They don't ever do it. They don't. And, have, and the linebackers are so poorly coached on this team. I mean, it's incredible to watch them filling the same gap. Making the same mistakes week after week, and they are veteran as hell. Yeah, for a couple of them. Yeah, but I understand. Roderick Hoskins has been not the same guy because he was having a really nice start to the season against Alabama. He was excellent. Next week um, against the NC State, when he but he was he was pretty good. Matt's since he racking, his, Matt's racking up tackles in the efforts yeah, there. Yeah, but the mistakes are also there, and they're consistently there. And that that to me boils down to coaching. You're not going back to the tape, teaching it. You know, for them, Sunday, Monday is about a little bit of rehab, a little bit of teaching the mistakes from the last week, getting ready for the next one. And I'm not seeing the teaching of mistakes being applied and taking to kids. And if a guy's going to keep repeating the same mistakes yeah. week in and week out, bench your ass. Yeah. That, the great enforcer is the bench. That's a great teacher. You can tell a kid ten times something. If he's not going to hear it, you know when he'll hear it? When he touches the bench. When we were allowed to go to practices, which, bah, like the, um, it was difficult to watch the, the, the pace in which the linebackers were coached. Um, I thought like you'd watch Brad Line and it was so efficient watching those edges and the way he would teach them and the way he would say things and it just seemed like it was eye-popping stuff. The linebackers would be this, like everyone else is getting like two reps by the time the linebackers have gone through once. Yep. I mean like I'm not trying to be an ass to Bill Miller. I'm just saying like there's just it's just not and the results on the field have been that's been one of the weakest units or at least the most inconsistent since he's arrived. I, I don't know. Uh, so let's transition from Boston College to coaching. <laughs> Uh, and where this team's at, both you, both of you guys had written at separate time, and I did too. That, that this is a call for change. I mean, we 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 had said that, that it's something that at this point was I think unavoidable. Now it's just staring at you right in the face. It's like, okay, when are you going to make the changes? How many? How much is it going to be? Let's just say real quick, if there's not any changes, if this staff is allowed to stay intact, or just a couple guys retire, or there's not wholesale like three or four guys, I don't care. The fans, you start running the risk of them checking out. So there has to be change from a business standpoint, and this is ultimately a business, and it's run like a corporation, and it's to make money. You start losing money really, really quickly if you come back with the same guys. Is that fair? And they rolled that dice last year. They did. We see where it took them. Yep. I I no, get I, why Jimbo did what he did last year. Yeah, I don't that, necessarily that agree sense. with it, but I understand why he did it. He rolled the dice, and the gamble did not pay off. We spoke in the preseason about how this was a huge year for Charles Kelly, and he's failed. Yep. We spoke in the preseason about how Bill Miller's kind of in to all of us. None of us think that you couldn't easily do better than Bill Miller on the staff, and I think that definitely still holds true. Brad's been an interesting case. I certainly think Brad Lawing knows how to coach. I don't know if Brad Lawing knows how to very well coexist with others on the staff. I think there is certainly some issues with that on the defensive side of the ball. And a lot of that is frustration of the defensive ends going from being an ultra-productive group last year to being sort of non-existent this yeah. year in a lot of ways. And some of that's Demarcus Walker, but a lot of it isn't. Mm-hmm. Offensively, Rick Trickett, we all know what the story is there. Rick Trickett knows how to coach offensive line. He knows what he's doing. He can tell you all the terminology. He can tell you everything that they're trying to accomplish. The issue is when he tries to apply it to his guys at FSU, there's not a whole lot of success coming out of that position. You know, Bruce Bunch is what it is. Is those produce and other guys haven't developed. They're not going to rely on a lot of guys beyond Saunders. Mm-hmm. 
but the fact that Maven Saunders hasn't kind of emerged into somebody who can be somewhat dependable in a very depleted offense is not a good sign. Mm-hmm. Um, running backs, you know, Jay does a fine job with that group. He's got awful as a special teams coach, but that's that not, is what that's it is. Not, that, again, that's not his fault. Dossie's group is an <laughs> abomination. I mean, and some of it's not his fault, some of it's injuries, but at the same time, the lack of depth and development Two is Two wide receivers fault. drafted in the last 10 years. Yeah, and, you know, Autumn Tate's been very good this year. He's come along. Night yeah, one credit showing credit signs yeah. in the last couple of weeks of really buying in, and I think... Nyquan legged a little bit behind because he is such a Francois guy. Then there was a little bit of getting off your buddy not being out there swinging a rock. Yeah. But in general, the receiver group is barren. It's really poor and it's just been bad. It's not like a new development of it not being good. It's been consistently bad. And then quarterback, I mean, Randy looks checked out. Let's just say what it looks like. I mean, Randy does not look like a person that really wants to be on the staff currently. Let's. Go down the list, just yes or no. Not naming coaches' names, just are these guys in the last with the last couple of years sample size? Is there are their position groups respectively achieving you know re- reaching their potential consistently? Quarterback, probably yes. Yeah. Now, this is just this is yeah. just to evaluate the talent of what you have. Running back, probably yes. yes. Right. Tight end, maybe mm-hmm. right. That's not a. I'd say no. They have a ton of tight ends on the... Yeah, and the the returns on the number of guys you have is kind of limited. Yeah. So I'd guess I'd lean no, no, even though Izzo's developed. That's not a clear well. cut, but yeah, right. but no, um, largely. And how many tight ends have been drafted other than Nick O'Leary? Uh, wide receiver? No. no. Offensive line? No. Nope. Okay. Defensive end? Yes. Yes. Defensive tackle? Yes. 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 Linebacker? No. no. Cornerback safety or, or same coach? For the amount of talent, definitely not. Defensive coordinator? Definitely not. He's in over his head. Offensive coordinator? <laughs> are we talking about Jimbo? Are we talking titles or, or the one talking... who actually does it? We're talking about the one who, who Jimbo Fisher. Um, too, too much on his plate. I, I firmly believe that he's still a talented OC, but when you're trying to manage everything in the operation – you're neglecting the thing that you're supposed to be doing the most. And I think that that's one of his major issues. Plus, as we spoke about for the first 20 minutes of this, he's stubborn. Six no's to five yeses, guys. Yeah, that translates to a lot of losses. That, that's where we're at. If if the season, we talked about this before, the season, or let's say if, if right now, if you had to continue the season with, and you say Charles Kelly's not getting it done, he's a great guy, Charles is, isn't working out, uh, leave now, find a job where you can relocate your family and do what's best for yourself for our program, who would be calling plays? I mean, so that's where yeah. we're at with the talent. You know, who, who is, who's beating down your door right now to get these coaches away? Other than Brewster, like who else is, is being heavily pursued? Randy's interviewed for NFL jobs and he hasn't gotten them yet. And this is a guy who's coached James Swenson and Peyton Manning. Like, there's something just not right here, I think it's fair to say. I would argue in Randy's case... I thought he blended well with Jimbo, and I thought he was willing to take a back seat to Jimbo and let him be the play caller. And with, with Randy being the guy who could help navigate and suggest some things, and he could be the, the film room guy with the young quarterbacks, I think we're seeing a lot of, for example, Randy did a lot of wildcat with Randall Cobb at Kentucky. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff in Randy Sanders' bag that I just don't think Jimbo wants to do. Mm-hmm. They maybe don't mesh as well as, as I had thought. Ooh. I think Randy, I think Randy's a guy in demand. Mm-hmm. But I think the the point to your point is how many guys are going to get quickly snatched up. 
because this is going to be an offseason where Jim is going to have to go to guys and say, yeah. you know, we're, we're going to make some changes. I mentioned this on the message board, but I think it's worth, you know, bringing up. We've talked about 20 weeks buyouts. Mm-hmm. That's not an insignificant, no. that's not a significant amount of money. I mean, FSU can pay it here and there if, if needed. A lot of these guys can find jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, Bowden did not fire assistant coaches. He always said, I only fired three guys. The storyline is very interesting, though, because Bowden used to say, you're not welcome back. You're encouraged year, to, to you look are elsewhere. Encouraged yeah. to look elsewhere. That's what Jimbo just needs to say. You mm-hmm. are encouraged to look elsewhere. I don't know when that conversation is going to happen. It mm-hmm. may have already happened with some of them. But we, we've needs... been told that they are. There, there's actually been conversations yeah. about jobs. It doesn't mean anything definitive, but that's actually something that's being discussed in season, which is uh, unprecedented. Um, but, but to your point, Bob, about like where they, these things feel like th- these coaches know how to coach football. Like they didn't just forget how. Sometimes in life, man, like you're in a relationship that's great for like we've all been there like dated a girl who thinks are great and whether that's just a month a couple months a couple years there's a certain point where just things change like your body chemistry like your the way your mind works changes your viewpoints on life change things you were looking for are different and that happens with the same person you're with like that happens in life and sometimes you just need to move on because it's not working anymore it's not it's no longer the relationship for whatever it is romantic friendship family Whatever, it doesn't work the same all the time. It's constantly evolving, and sometimes you have to cut bait because it's just not working anymore. And sometimes there's burnout. Yeah. Um, you know, I think with Randy, Randy's a guy who, from what I understand, in 2015 had a great amount of say in the offense. Mm-hmm. That Jimbo leaned very heavily on him. He, you know, did a lot of things to help in-game play calling. Jimbo gave him the keys to Sean McCoy. <laughs> um, but as far as... It's clear that Jimbo has a healthy respect for Randy. Yeah, he Randy's should. voice is heard, and mm-hmm. I, there's a lot of guys who I don't think that would be said for in an offensive meeting with Jimbo Fisher. But I think at this point, it's clear that Randy just sort of, you know, wants a different path, which is fine. And college coaching—I know we've brought this up in the past. Older college coaches, I think, get super burned out by recruiting. And at positions like that where it's such high-stakes recruiting, you know, you might only really like a guy or two. For example, Justin Fields this year. You're going to invest a lot of time and show up a lot of Saturdays that mm-hmm. you hope you have off in the off season, and kind of work your schedule around a 17-year-old's needs. Mm-hmm. I, I think that can burn guys out, and I think you certainly see that burn guys out. And it's not only an FSU thing. It's a college football thing. It's, it's a young man's game in many ways. And I know the trade with young man's game is that you're not going to have as much experience as many instances of, you know, performing the mm-hmm. act, but on the field. But uh, at some point, you know, you got to pick what you are. FSU staff when Jimbo first got here was a bunch of basset hounds or whatever kind of hunting hounds. I'm not a hunter, so I don't really know, but. Bloodhounds that want <laughs> bloodhounds that want to go. Hounds. <laughs> I love basset hounds. Yeah, they're not hunting dogs. dogs is probably but more what they're like. You know what yeah. I'm getting at. The, when they first came in, they were bloodhounds. They yeah. wanted to go get great players, and they could coach too. Mm-hmm. Then he kind of transitioned to a staff that I believe he was more of a coaching group who Stable, had to polo coaches, and could yeah. recruit too. Mm-hmm. And you could kind of sell the these are veteran guys, yada yada. Yeah, he went for stability. That's burned out. I'm very interested this off season. Where the staff goes? What's the next direction? Is it is it trying to balance those two? Is it you know getting a few hitmen type that can just go out and get guys for you, and a few that are just truly X's and O's in the boardroom, gonna get it done for you kind of guys? What's next? But I think he has to sort of reinvent what he's doing with the staff here. 
Uh, for multiple reasons, uh, not yeah, solely yeah. on-field performance. Yeah. I think recruiting needs to be kind of redone. Strength and conditioning needs a true look and maybe an overhaul. On-field performance definitely needs to be addressed. There's a lot of things that FSU has to fix to fix their current issues. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they're a talented enough bunch that if you do hit a bunch of home runs and you get the right guys and you get the right hires and it's cohesive and it happens quick and it comes together in the spring and the preseason, you can beat Notre Dame next year. Yeah. no, It's, they're, an, they're, it's not like they're far off from being able to And the to fact return. that they're losing close games, it, it kind of does show, aside from this past week, that they aren't far off. Yeah, no, that, that's certainly part of it. I, think this, I was talking about this with, with my fiance yesterday, and she wasn't who I was talking about in the stale relationship, just for the record. But we, but we were talking about uh, – with with when you're trying like with coaching college, it was so interesting to me. What other profession is someone a salesman and then an assembler too? Like well, you're you're not only you're sell, you're making the product and you're selling the product, and it's just it's so difficult to find someone that can do both at a high level in any kind of profession. And that's what the college coaches are required to be. So Chris's point, there's a ton of burnout because you have to wear a ton of different hats. Um, and so sometimes you just need change. This staff has stayed together longer than most college football staffs do for you know any type of program that, that has uh, stability with the head coach. If I recall correctly, Football Scoop this preseason said they were the second most veteran staff as far as being together. At the same time. Who was experience. number one, do you remember? Uh, maybe, that's interesting. Maybe Northwestern? Um, well, that would make sense too. But yeah, so that that's sometimes just infusions needed. This is definitely an older coaching staff. I think Tomahawk Nation put together the numbers before, and I wish I had it in front of me. But they, in terms of like just the, the general age of this group, it's an older group. Uh, sometimes you need to make changes. We're at the point where I think changes, uh, I think we all agree, and it's going to happen. I don't expect Jimbo to come out and say it on Monday's press conference. I don't expect him to say it through November, but it's going to happen. Which brings us to, if you're going to make coaching changes, um, the sooner the better. I do think a crisis management 101, don't delay to tomorrow what needs to be done today. And with early signing period, it's yes. even more crucial. So, if you're Florida State, you're not uh, guaranteed of making a bowl game at this point. As currently comprised, you have to win out the rest of your schedule to make a bowl game. Now, if you add University of Louisiana Monroe, which is something that Florida State has discussed... Uh, but they want to wait until until they are officially eliminated from the ACC uh, championship race. And guess what? That now happened. They are officially done. They can't do it. Uh, but mathematically eliminated, I believe, because I don't think Clemson can lose four games in conference at this point. So they're done. doesn't matter if they beat Clemson. doesn't matter if Clemson loses out. It, it, the FSU's out. Do you try to get that? So if you try to get that ULM game, is that something do you legitimately want to if you're Florida State, play in a bowl game. Because then all of a sudden you have to keep those coaches, don't you? Chris, you probably have the best idea of this, but all of a sudden if you have to, if you can't hit the ground running. You're going to have to keep a majority of them to prepare for the set bowl. You you probably can have a guy or two walk, especially at a non-dependent position, like a linebacker coach Mm -hmm. probably could go, uh, you know, running back coach or receiver coach, those types they potentially could go. The more crucial spots of the trenches and the coordinators, that's tough to walk yeah. away from. Unless you have somebody you can immediately put into that spot yeah. and you're going to basically try to replicate what you're already doing and just do it in a better way. So it's tough. Um, but yeah, is it, so is it better, does it behoove Florida State, if it's looking like it's not going to make a, a bowl game, to, to one try to reschedule you on them or are they almost better served at this point kind of i mean you don't get those practices which is not good you don't get those 15 practices which doesn't help uh, but are you better kind of this is a team that certainly doesn't seem really super fond of each other right now are you better off let me throw out a curveball Ooh. and i haven't mentioned this to you all but i'm just going to throw it out you do have some guys in support roles on the staff 
you have a team that is going nowhere on the edge of missing a bowl game. What if you brought a Mario Edwards into a coaching role on field, mm-hmm. pushed Bill Miller aside, for example, mm-hmm. moved Charles Kelly to linebacker, mm-hmm. bring in Mario to coach defensive backs? It's a four-game tryout to mm-hmm. see if Mario is a guy who you might keep around as an assistant coach. He may not be. Yeah. He's probably not the guy you would choose if you were going out in December and had all the free agent options like Terrell Buckley and mm-hmm. such guys who we think might be good long-term fits. But are there some options if you look at your your QA, QC, mm-hmm. player development types? Well, so they have guys that have been here for a while, like like Addison Lynch and, and like Tino Sincere sure. on both sides of the ball. Um, they have smart football minds. Yeah, I mean, that's something that certainly can... And I've wondered that, like, if... If you do make a change, you do have some guys in position to where you can trust, you know, with with the larger responsibility. I think. And making a change sends a message. Yeah, it does. Well, you and that's where the point is. You almost public relation wise, I feel like have to make right at this point. I, I'm not even about appeasing the fans. Like yeah. I understand that fans want it, and they're just the stockholders and all that. I understand. I'm not trying to say fans don't matter, but when internally, you're, yeah. when you're trying to win football games, and players aren't listening, the message is deaf, and there's a lack of accountability across the board. If you don't install a lack uh, accountability, it ain't gonna come. Yeah. So you know, I, I would have left Chestnut Hill light a guy or two personally if I was dealing yeah. with this coaching staff. I mean, there are guys clearly on this coaching staff that there's no return on the investment mm-hmm. at this point. So I understand that gashing your staff in the middle of the season is difficult. Jimbo spoke about that. Not acting like that's not going to matter. And they could easily fire guys and get worse. There's mm-hmm. no doubt in my mind that could happen. But I feel like just kind of letting it play out at this point, I, I don't really know if there's any benefit to that either. Especially if it comes back to what we started with, was that this team seemed to pack it in. And on the Louisiana Monroe thing, the ball streak matters to former players who were part of it, yeah. without a doubt. I think it matters to a lot of fans. Um, but at the end of the day, it's about the long-term success of the program. Yeah. I think you got to move on. Like I, 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 I think they lose to Syracuse. I obviously think they lose to Clemson. So, it's so it doesn't matter. Anyways. Well, that, that's the thing is you can't so that's push forward. Where I come back. You can't push forward. So right now, that game would be looking at operating at a loss financially. If you're Florida State, that ULM game would they, they would expect that to be a loss for them financially with tickets, and it wouldn't be worth the amount that it would cost to to post that. And then a bowl game is also usually typically a loss, especially whatever slappy bowl game you'll be playing in the the the, block, the blockbuster bowl in Wyoming or whatever. Yeah, I don't see the FSU fan base running to Texas El Paso. No, for so so that is two more. If you're taking on two more games, you're looking at the business side. It's two more games that you're probably losing money as a program. Which in a season that it, the, it's going to come out that they haven't made a ton of money uh, this season. Frankly, they're probably going to lose money uh, at least in certain segments of uh, of the season. I believe so. Um, for, for a year that hasn't been great financially because fan support is down and frustrated, which is understandable, like that's something that is going to be part of the conversation. Uh, and then you start wondering, okay, like you said, Chris, is that something that better for your pro- program long term or do you just move on? Like I don't know what the benefits are to ULM other than saying you got to a bowl, but there's not a guarantee. But the, the biggest benefit of just moving on is beating others to the market. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're there for, again, crisis management 101, don't delay tomorrow what needs to be done today. because let's look right now coaching market wise Florida staff's all going to turn over yeah. Texas A&M's a maybe Tennessee 
Arkansas is probably going to happen. Mm-hmm. Tennessee is going to happen. So, so, so that's so four SEC schools. We can all know the SEC spends money like a bunch of dumbasses. Yeah. I mean, they just shovel it. They're like uh, the guy from DuckTales. God, I, my kids' cartoons mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. trading my life. Um, Scrooge McDuck. Yeah, just, you know, diving into money, swimming around, throwing it around. That's the SEC. So the bidding wars... I'm going to hire the next Nick Saban disciple and get it figured out, Paul! I mean, Tennessee's going to come out here with stupid money trying to attract somebody to Knoxville, Tennessee. It's going to just naturally happen. Florida's going to be in that ball boat. Scott Frost. So it's going to be an offseason when there's a lot of turnover, a lot of staffs, and if you need to go out and get, say, four to six coaches... Good ones. Yeah. you you got to kind of hit the ground running. You gotta have, and I, I do believe Jimbo's a guy that kind of always has that short list, especially for certain things like coordinators. Mm-hmm. He's always looking at it. Yeah, but you should. Um, um, but but you want to have that first interview. You want to have the first crack at the guy. Try to get him in here. Try to get him hired quick. Get him on the road. Get him recruiting. Do what you can to salvage recruiting in the end. Mm-hmm. Try to be successful in that early signing period so you don't lose When's early signing period start? Uh, you know off the top of your head? It's basically the JUCO signing period. Um, okay. Which is so right cool. before the Christmas break. Yeah. So, 20th? I want to say December yeah, 20th. Yeah, 18th, 20th, somewhere <sighs> in that ballpark of mid yeah. to late December. But you got a lot of work to do the two weeks prior to that. Mm-hmm. Basically, the two and a half weeks if you include the week and, after And UF. if you get bringing new guys, I mean, you're basically your message then is your recruiting pitches help us. You, there's an opportunity to early playing time and getting new guys in that early to sell the message of turning you know something over a new leaf is probably beneficial. One thing I'll say, and I, we've, we've touched on this before, um, that, that I think is kind of concerning is the last coaching few coaching hires Florida State had made clearly haven't been great and haven't worked out. Um, so uh, that's something that bears watching. Is, is 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 this current program capable of bringing in its top options? Yeah, and hi- hiring guys is a tough thing. I mean, Florida hired an offensive head coach. Whose and offense their offense is been, putrid. Yeah. I mean, you sometimes think, well, we we did it. We we got a guy who. Fills what our need is. We've got a guy who's got good credentials, has worked for good people, has had success previously, and it doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you have to do it. You just you hire and fire until you find the right concoction that helps you win ball games. Nick Saban's hired people that weren't very good. Yeah, but happens. he's also quickly walked away from them. That's what Nick is. That's done the very biggest well. thing with Nick. Is that- Nick is. He's instantaneous. There's no, you know, if after one year he doesn't feel like it's good, he's going to let you know, thanks for your service, on to your next job. There needs to be some ruthlessness yeah. to it. Um, with, with ULM, I think we were all pretty steadfast in, in thinking that this game was going to happen, but we also felt like Force was going to beat Boston College. That would be win number three. Then the numbers were going to go in your favor, and you needed to get the six by beating ULM. I think at this point I've – totally pulled back on ULM. I think you can make an argument to play it, and man, the numbers are going to hurt one way or the other because you might have to issue some refunds. Yeah. But the refund on a ULM ticket isn't very sizable. You can just walk away from that game. There is no cancellation or buyout that mm-hmm. FSU owes ULM. I just touched Chris's can, toes with they my can give toes. So. I have shoes on, so you didn't technically touch my oh, toes. Okay. Thank God. I agree, Bob. No, I, I, there are... Um, yeah, the, the, there are pros and cons to yep. it, but I'm kind of with you. Like, I thought it was a no-brainer. I thought for sure it was going to happen. I thought that was the direction FSU administration was was leaning. I think that the boosters probably didn't want that to happen. Um, but now I'm not sure. I, I don't know what administration is going to think and what Jimbo's going to think because I think there's a lot 
of reasons to why not that's not what's in the best interest of your program long term. Yeah, I think when they make the decision on a game, it's going to be very much dollars and cents based. Mm-hmm. They're going to sit down and figure out what insurance money covers what as far as ticket loss. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what isn't covered, which is straight loss for the university. What it would cost to play the game as far as paying ULM, event staff, all those fun things, and figure it out. I think whichever one says, you know, less of a loss is what mm-hmm. to go with. And I think at this point, that's probably not playing the not game. Not playing it. No, I, I think so. But I, I do feel like Friday night significantly changed the potential of that game being played. I, I think too. I think if they win in Chestnut Hill, and, you know, they're going to beat Delaware State, and you presume they beat ULM, they're at five, they need one more. You feel like it's really achievable. Syracuse, Clemson, Florida, you think you can win one of those. Yeah, two. and at this point, yeah, there's not a whole lot of reason for hope. And just and even the math, like just the way the team played, is you just I, I what there was only one game on this schedule as currently comprised with four games left that you say okay that's probably going to be a win. That's Delaware State. And long term motivation for the guys who will return to this team next year will be there if they are the ones that snapped a bull streak. Yeah, I mean you we'll can see. hold that over their head. You're going from a program where preseason expectation was college football playoff, potentially a one loss, maybe a two loss team competing for the playoffs, potentially you know in that conversation. That's not my expectation. That was a national perception of Florida State going into the year. You go from that to being the 4-8 and eight Notre Dame team of last year, you have to earn your respect back, and it yeah. changes. I, I think there is some natural, and this is natural for any team that recently won a national title who has competed at a very high level for multiple years. There's some built-in, if I put on a uniform, I'm just going to be part of that, mm-hmm. and I think you kind of that will be washed away with this year. And ULM doesn't truly impact that beyond the potential of a bowl game. But I think that is something that, you know, when you're going to try to redirect this program, get back to what your goals are, Jimbo Fisher's goals of being great, I think that can play a role too. All right, I think that's a, uh, I think that's a, a landing point. I think that's a good way to end this. We're going to talk about Syracuse a little bit, but yeah, Syracuse is probably going to score 60 on them. It's fine. No, actually, I don't know. That. No, I, 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 I don't feel great about that for Florida State, but I, I don't know. I mean, Florida State's more talented, but they've been more talented than a good chunk of the team that they lost to this Yeah, year. Syracuse is kind of like BC. If they get a lead on you, they're going to yeah. they're gonna keep bringing it right at you. And they're, they're a physical bunch. Even the game, they played really bad against Miami, mm-hmm. but they were really they physical. A chance. And I like, I mean, Dungy's a good quarterback. Uh, they're going to... They're going to go right at you in a very – it's going to be a different way with the tempo and stuff they're yeah. going to run. But, I mean, it has an equal chance to be just as devastating to go against when they can just run tempo and gas you and get you tired. Um, you know, and Syracuse, traditionally, like, they'll, they are outmanned by Florida State, but they always come out, you know, playing because they recruit a ton of kids from Florida that, that are on that roster. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, but – I think, Chris, your, your point about ULM is a good way to kind of to end it and where this, this team is uh, right now because there's certainly some, uh, some, some gigantic issues. So, folks, enjoy, uh, enjoy candy, whether it's a, a blow pop or a Sour Patch Kid or a Butterscotch candy. Enjoy, enjoy Hall- Halloween, trick-or-treat, be safe. Uh, we'll talk to you later.